0: Let's begin with a word of prayer. My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. So, as I said in the children's sermon, it is not my job today to explain, defend, deny, or uh, interpret the Trinity, it's a mystery. And uh, we will never be able to fully understand it. What I want you to think about today is that Jesus is giving his last lecture. Now, I don't know if your college did that. I wore my fraternity pin today. I don't know if you know, your pastor was in a fraternity in college. I was in Alpha Phi Omega. And uh, we ran, it was a service fraternity. It wasn't a drinking fraternity. And... uh, we did good deeds around the college. We protected the parking lot for uh, mischief night because the school 's parking lot was way far away from the school and the and the the mischievous kids would come and soap and egg the cars and we, we did stuff like that. but we had what was called a last lecture series, and we would invite one of the professors to give his or her last lecture. We would say. Imagine that it's the end of your career here at the school or the end of your life. What have you learned? What lesson do you want to share with us? It's the last thing you would say. One of the most uh, inspiring ones I heard was from Dean Schistler. Now, Dean Schistler was one of those older gentlemen. And remember, they used to have the half readers that went on the end of their nose. And he would look over them. And he never called you by your first name. It was always Miss Smith, Miss Madison. And then there was this one kid, he always said, Alvin. I don't know why, but everybody else got Mr. and Mrs. And that poor kid got Alvin. I don't know where that kid is now. But So one day, Dean Schistler came to give his last lecture. And he sat down on the chair, and we're all sitting, listening. And he said, if there's one thing I have to share with you, It's stop and smell the roses. And he talked for a half an hour about all the opportunities and all the beauty in God's world that most of us never see because we're so focused on some goal or task. That really stuck with me. Now, nobody's ever asked me to give my last lecture yet. That's probably a good thing. I'm still learning stuff. But you may remember around 2008, a book came out. It was called... The Last Lecture was written by uh, Randy Pausch and he was a professor at Carnegie Mellon. And they had invited him to give his last lecture and like one or two weeks before he was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And he gave this lecture that it was humorous and it was a farewell to his loved ones. And he had young children and he wanted to give them advice through the last lecture about his life experience that they would need. It went viral. It went all over the internet. Uh, 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 One of those people, a a co-writer came, and they wrote a book about the content of the last lecture, and he was on all the talk shows, and he lived about three three to six months longer than they had predicted, and most people said it was because of the adrenaline and the excitement and the support in the prayer he got. Well, what we're reading from today, from John 13 to 17, is Jesus' last lecture. And he really only has three points. The first one is this: it's not over. Now, we could quote that famous baseball analogy: it ain't over until the fat lady sings, or it ain't over till it's over. But imagine the disciples, they're they're in the dark. They don't know that the Roman soldiers are coming, but they're coming. Jesus is going to die the next day, and he wants them to know that it's not over. Point number one. Point number two is it's not only not over, but you get to live in heaven. I go to prepare a place for you. Were it not true, I wouldn't have told you. Let not your hearts be troubled. And then this is the tricky part. The third point of this last lecture is the Holy Spirit is coming. Now, if you go and you read Mark and Luke and John and Matthew, he doesn't really talk about the Holy Spirit until the very end of his ministry. We've got wonderful parables and stories in the Sermon on the Mount. And if you go back and look with a fine-tooth comb, there's really no discussion of the Holy Spirit. He's sort of cramming it in to his last lecture. Now, none of you have had me for psychology at the college, but I cover, well, I'm one of the professors you all hated, and that's okay. I lecture on the first day. I hand out my syllabus, I go over my syllabus, and I say, get out your notebooks, and all the kids are like, what? I said, oh no, we're here to learn stuff. I said, and we're gonna learn the stuff that we need to learn right up front so that when we get to the end, I'm not doing four or five chapters in one lecture. They hate it at the beginning, but they love it at the end. Because other classes, the professor's going, oh, we got to get all this in. Read seven chapters. Write your papers. And my class has been very carefully, I know this surprises you, very carefully organized and presented in such a way that all the material is covered. And we have a little bit of time at the end to go well, for some reason, and I'm not sure why, but Jesus knows why, and you can put this on the questions you're going to ask when you get to heaven. You know, did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? That's that's a good one. I've had kids ask me that question, right? Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, we know that one. He didn't create the eggs. He created the fowls, but people still ask that question. Well, now you can ask this one. Why did you save the Holy Spirit, lecture? until the end. Well, he didn't want to overload them with information. And uh, he's giving some highlights here, hope and trust. And I, I want to break this down for you in, in three pictures. The first picture is this. Um, James Merritt tells the story that he went skiing. And he doesn't say where he went skiing, except it was in Colorado. And there were these people with these bright red jackets all over the mountain. And he got close, and they actually had in big print written on the back of their jacket, blind skier. Now, I don't know about you, but that falls into the oxymoron category for me, like military intelligence, jumbo shrimp, and freezer burn. Blind skier. And he saw them and they weren't crashing into trees or falling off the side of the mountain. And this just really stuck with him. So when he got to the bottom of the mountain, he found a ski instructor and he said, okay, I need to understand this. How does this work? And he was told that every blind skier is given a sighted skier. And the sighted skier skis near them and they communicate in two ways. One way is they click their ski poles together so that the blind skier knows that they're nearby. And then when it's time for a turn, a right or a left or a slowdown whatever, what's coming up, they get close and they, in a soft quiet voice, say, we're going to turn right. We're going to turn left. And they guide them down the mountain. Well, isn't life a lot like skiing down the side of a mountain? And many of us All of us are totally blind. We may not know where God has for us to finish, but we are skiing down the hill. And we sometimes can't, well, we know we can't see five seconds into the future. We can't even see the heartaches and the struggles that await us. We can't see the other skiers sometimes. But God has given us our own personal ski guide. That's what the scripture said today. I give you the Holy Spirit and he will guide you. The word guide, interestingly in Greek, is the word used to describe someone who guides a person who is blind. So the first lesson I want you to think about is the Holy Spirit can't guide you if you're not listening. Now the second one, and actually I have a friend whose son, went to the Merchant Marine Academy. We don't hear a lot about that. We hear about the Air Force and West Point and Annapolis. Did you know there was a Merchant Marine Academy? It's up in New York. And they're the people that drive your cruise ships and your oil tankers and all of that. And then should wartime happen and they commandeer those boats, they have all of these people trained to switch from commercial to military. And his son graduated from the Merchant Marine Academy. And he now works on the Delaware River. He's a a harbor master. So what happens is the Delaware River, if you've noticed, is not a straight line. There's shallow parts and there's deep parts and there's sharp turns. And if you've ever canoed down the Delaware up north by By Burlington County, sometimes it moves quickly, sometimes it moves slowly. And when they get to the Delaware, the harbormaster gets on the boat and steers it to the dock. Except the harbormaster can't steer the boat if you don't let him on. That's lesson two about the Holy Spirit. You have to be willing to listen to the guidance of the Holy Spirit and you have to let him on the boat. And the funny thing is, the Holy Spirit does not charge onto your boat. He patiently waits to be invited. Um, I, I don't know to whom I was speaking this week, but we were talking about... It might have been a Thursday night Bible study. We were talking about ministry and how to connect with people. I'll never forget my first day as a chaplain. Poor Vicky's heard this story before. The head chaplain brought in a Fisher-Price boat and the little island with the plastic palm tree that goes with it. And now all the chaplains are there. Some of us were MDiv students, some of us were PhD students. We were not uneducated or unprepared for this job. And he says, think of that island as the patient in their bed, and you're the boat. He said, some of you are gonna go into the room and you're gonna take the boat and you're gonna land it on the island, whether you're invited or not. Hi. I'm the chaplain, let's pray. He says, it ain't going to work. He said, here's what I need you to think about. I need you to circle that island. I need you to be available. And one day that patient will say, Chaplain, can we talk? And you'll be invited onto the island. That's the harbormaster. We have to be willing to listen and then invite the Holy Spirit. So Vicki's in my, this is third point. So the first one is listen. The second one's let him on board. And the third one is this. Vicki and I were going to the Smoky Mountains. And we decided to visit Tom Webb. I went to seminary with Tom Webb. Tom says, it's not that far away. Come see us and then go. And this was many years ago when you went up a mountain or down into a valley, the GPS would stop working. And it kept going in and out and in and out. And we weren't sure where we were. And you can no longer really stop at a gas station and buy a map because all of our maps are on our phones. We wound up, it took us like seven, eight hours to get to Tom. And all we had time to do was go out to Outback with Tom and his wife and then hop in the car because we had to get to the hotel and check in. And then it took us over the mountains. And every time we went up, it just goes out. You don't know where you are. You don't know where you're going. Then you would come down the mountain and it would reconnect and up and to go out and out. And then it was dark and there were no lights and the big 18 wheelers were going. Mm, mm. It was one of the most terrifying rides I think we've ever had together. Well, think of the Holy Spirit as that wireless connection. If you are in touch with the Holy Spirit, if you are in prayer and reading the Scriptures and in fellowship with the body of Christ, you're going to hear the directions. If you are not doing those things, if if you are far away from the Holy Spirit, he's never going to be able to guide you. Now, there's some people who are listening who are probably educated in the biblical languages, And I got to tell you, it's hard sometimes to talk about the Holy Spirit because God is Father, that's decidedly male. Jesus is the Son of God, decidedly male. And Pneuma, spirit, breath, is decidedly female. Now, if I were to call the Holy Spirit she, half of you would get mad at me. If I call the Holy Spirit it, half of you would get mad at me. And if I call him he... The other half would get mad at me, and yes, I know there's not three halves. So I, I've been leaning towards the he today, but who cares what gender the Holy Spirit is? It's the Holy Spirit. So now you've got the three lessons. Listen, let them on board, and stay connected. I have three questions. The first one is this: Are you listening? Are you listening? The spirit is not an invading force. The spirit needs to be invited, accepted, and welcomed. Are you listening? The second question is this. Uh, where am I? There I am. Second question is this: Can you let Jesus or the Spirit take the wheel? Like the song says, "Jesus, take the wheel?" One of my best friends always likes to say, you know the problem with the living sacrifice? It keeps crawling off the altar. Well, that's the idea. We say, Jesus, take the wheel. And then you go, oh, no, I know a better way to get there. And we take it back. And then we get lost or a flat die or we need triple A. We say, okay, Lord, help us. And we let him have the, the wheel back. And then everything's going. You go, oh, I got it from here. And we grab the wheel again. The Holy Spirit says, I need you to let me. Guide your life. I want you to hear this. It is our responsibility to stay connected. The Spirit is available. The Spirit is there. Jesus promised it. Jesus' promises are true. The Spirit is there for every believer. But not every believer is connected to the Spirit. So this is where you have to do a checkup from the neck up. How are you staying or living or working or loving or celebrating the spirit in your life? (laughs) Have you ever had trouble with scripture? You look at scripture and you go like, I am just not getting this. I heard the cutest story this year or this week. A little boy was writing a little girl in his class a letter. He had his first crush. The problem is they're both in pre-K. And uh, he's scribbling on this letter, and mom says, what are you doing? And he says, oh, I'm so in love with Amaryllis. I'm writing her a love letter. And mom says, you can't write. Why are you trying to send Amaryllis a letter? And he smiles at his mom. He says, that's okay. She can't read. (laughs) Apart from the Holy Spirit, Scripture will mean nothing. We have to stay connected. The Holy Spirit really does two jobs. I want you to think about this, because we don't think this a whole lot. The first one is his ministry is to sinners. He has to convince, convict, and convert. Now, that could be a sermon on its own, but that's the Holy Spirit's ministry to sinners, to non-believers. And then he has a ministry to saints. That would be us, to guide, to grow, and to groom We are each called to our own particular ministry. But if we're not listening and we're not connected and we're not inviting the Spirit into our lives, we'll never know that. On Trinity Sunday, the Holy Spirit calls sinners to a relationship with God. But Trinity Sunday is really, hear this, more for the saints. Saints means set apart for God. The real issue is in the decisions we make. Psychology Today did a study, and they found out that we make 35,000 decisions every day. Right? I have to make a decision where I'm going to look during the sermon, back and forth. Who am I going to establish eye contact? Which point am I going to keep? Which point am I going to skip? Just making the sermon has thousands of decisions. Maybe the toughest decision is, what's for dinner? Do you have that discussion with your sp- What do you want for dinner? I don't know, what do you want for dinner? You wanna go out, you wanna cook? What do we got in the freezer? Thousands of decisions just trying to decide what Chinese food to order. <laughs> well, it looks like this for me. There's little decisions. Am I gonna have cornflakes or Rice Krispies? There's medium decisions. On my way to school, am I gonna take Route 45 or Route 55? They both get me the same way. At the same time, but they have different challenges and obstacles. We have big decisions that determine the course of your life. Who am I going to marry? Where am I going to live? What am I going to choose as a career? And then we have eternal decisions. Where am I going to live for eternity? And how am I going to determine others' place in eternity. Remember, I've told you several times that the goal of my life is to go to heaven and take as many people with me as possible. I shared a lot of information this morning, but let's simmer it down. If you're being convinced or converted or convicted by the Spirit and you want to have a personal relationship with God through the death and resurrection of His Son, Jesus, during the last hymn, please sit in one of the front pews and our pastors or our deacons would love the opportunity to share the good news with you. If the Holy Spirit is a concept but not a reality in your life, then acknowledge his gift, ask for the Spirit's leadership and accept his guidance and direction. The front row again is open for prayers, for prayers on this matter or any other again. Our first pew is always open. We would love to pray with you. Amen.